welcome to the Mad Ones, and Happy Easter, if I'm allowed to say that. I'm your favorite AI artist known for such great things as making all of the president's babies and supervillains, uh, host Cam Harless, and joining me tonight as co-host is the incredibly kind and gracious Naomi Wright. How are you doing today? I'm great, and I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited for this episode. <laughs> Live in this the dream. Yes. <laughs> Fun way to um, spend a Thursday I'm night. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, and we, we are early tonight, so I don't know if everyone got the memo. So we'll we'll see how many people show up live, but that's fine. It's okay. But for people listening in the future, uh, I just want to let you know that this show is 100% brought to you by fans and patrons. So hit like, subscribe, share the show with your friends. There are all sorts of topics that we've covered. Uh, most recently, not most recently, recently we actually talked to Gary Plochet, not Gary Plochet, Jody Plochet, the son of Gary Pl Plochet, who is the man who shot his son's um, abuser on video in an airport. I don't know if you ever heard that story, but that's definitely an episode I think that's worth worth watching. Um, crazy. Um, so we've, we've covered a lot of topics. So share them with someone uh, with who might gain something from those episodes. Also, if you join Patreon, you'll get the occasional early episode. You'll get this episode. There's going to be an extended portion at the end that you're going to get called Last Call, and you'll get my eternal gratitude. So hit up patreon.com slash the mad ones. And uh, also, if you want to grab a shirt, a mug, a, a poster of the presidents as babies, uh, you can go to uh, uh, wearethemadones.com slash store and get it there. Um, but let's get to the let's get to the actual show portion instead of just me talking about things you can do for me. I'm here to give not to take. So uh, joining us tonight is the bane of bad arguments, the slayer of unsighted sources, the annihilator of inadequate ideas, and an apologist making his name on TikTok. He's the great fear of those who tout the old heresies. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Michael Jones, aka Inspiring Philosophy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I was just so sure, Mike, that I was going to come on this, this screen and you were going to be sitting there with bunny ears on your head because <laughs> last time you had the Santa hat ready. And so I was like, I can't I can't let him do that and me not do it. And so I bought some bunny ears and now I look like a fool. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even think to me. Like, it didn't even occur. I, just, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but Hey, oh, I, 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 I did the sight gag and I'm, I'm, I'm done with it now. So, uh, no, we, we spoke to you last in, when I say we, I mean me, because you, you haven't met Naomi before. This is Naomi. Um, <laughs> she was on, um, my show, several weeks ago she spoke to me about uh, her dad was actually a um a cult leader a polygamous cult leader and she got out of that and we had a conversation about that life um and now she she works uh helping people out of spiritual abuse situations and so she's going to come back and we're going to talk all about that soon but every time we've it's like every time i've tried to get on the show with her there's always been at least one delay of game where we have to come back and try again but I'm happy mm -hmm. she's here today. She was like, I want to meet uh, Inspiring Mike. That's what she told me. I do, yeah. Mike. Like, you're like, you're on my bucket list to have a conversation oh, with. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Mike. You could do better. That's what I'm you're saying. like, it's a sad bucket list. No, it's not. Your videos have <laughs> been you. so incredibly helpful. The work you do is so helpful. And the oh, reason you. why you do it really matters to me. Because as you might imagine, coming from a cult, we did not celebrate things like Easter. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and poly polygamy is also harmful. I, I have a few meta-analysis yeah. I found that came out and showing the damaging effects of polygamy on women and the children involved. It's just horrible. Oh, for sure. Do you have do you have content out on that? Is that what you're saying? Or are you no? Just but I, 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 I 
I did actually some TikTok videos where I was replying to a Muslim back in like January and I was going over the data in the meta-analyses and he's trying to argue that polygamy is okay because, you know, their religion says it's okay. So they have to defend it regardless of what the science shows. So I was just mm -hmm. pointing out, look, the studies all show this ruins women's mental health. It ruins the children are involved. It's just, this is just not good. And they're like, yeah, but like science is only one way to look at it. I mean, there's, other, I'm like, wow, this is so bad. Biblical doesn't support it either. Matters. So, I mean, they're hung no matter which direction they go, really. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what's funny about that, though, is uh, the I think the first video I saw you do on that on TikTok was replying to a girl who was saying something like, if any, if your man is honest with you, he wants multiple wives. And I, I saw that one independently and I replied, no, I'd rather die, essentially, you know, making a <laughs> joke. And then you and then I, I posted it and I scrolled and then I saw your like intelligent response. And I'm like, why do I exist? <laughs> no, it's fine. Sometimes it's just to poke fun at it. It's. It's helpful. Uh, yeah, same kind of stuff. I, I was blown away by her saying that. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, the 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 people think they want, men think they want multiple women. But then when you, men that are actually involved, there's a lot of drama there. There's a lot of jealousy. Mm -hmm. It comes with all sorts of baggage that humans are just not meant for. We're a pair bonding species. Yeah. Just, that's just the truth of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but what was cool about uh, when Na Naomi said that she wanted to talk to you, I was like, but you grew up in one of those cults that doesn't like Easter or Christmas. So you're actually kind of the perfect person to come on and talk to to Mike with because you probably probably heard those directly. Uh, but I thought, hey, let's bust some myths, because every time I hear one of these things, like just because I've studied some. Um, I mentioned this before in the last time we talked about Christmas, uh, just because I've studied some of the Sumerian myths, Babylonian myths and stuff, like when they start talking, I start going, this isn't even right. Like your, your mythology is even off. And thanks, Alexander Hislop. You're, you're mm. great. Um, <laughs> uh, but I figured let's, let's start off um, because Naomi's been in it. Let, let's talk about what you were born into and what your parents told you about Easter. And then we'll start playing talking about the different myths the different um bad arguments from there i think that's probably a good place to start sure so i mean nothing that's going to be new to hear other than to be honest you guys easter wasn't it wasn't really backed even with the the bad arguments which i don't know maybe you can give my group more credit for that they didn't even bother <laughs> trying to make stuff up <laughs> now christmas they did i know that's not our focus for today but i'll just give a nod to that christmas like we had i we had articles that we had to read and there's way more attacked of a holiday but so christmas was way more attacked easter yeah it was just we don't celebrate we didn't really celebrate holidays period so i mean birthdays weren't a thing the only thing we celebrated was thanksgiving and i make a joke that it's just because my dad liked to eat i'm like i just it was good food <laughs> so that was why but yeah so we didn't really do anything so at least it was consistent but absolutely heard the word pagan it's pagan and it was very much i i knew it even at the time even as a kid this is a distinctive for us like it makes us different it's setting us apart and i think that was then connected to like the israelites in the old testament like we're doing things different than the culture but the problem was we were trying to do stuff different than the christian culture versus being a part of the christian culture but that's that elitism that comes in oftentimes of course in groups like this or always in groups like this so 
as far as Easter goes itself, they definitely hit on, you know, bunnies and eggs. They're sort of like the low hanging fruit to just say, well, obviously this, this isn't of God. Obviously this is ridiculous. This is just, you know, people trying to sell stuff. It's just the marketing. It's just, and so why would we get involved? It's not really about Christ and just totally miss that. Well, yeah, but it could be, you know, just have these, these extra elements. But when oftentimes in these fundamental groups, there isn't a whole lot of room for fun. I don't know why fun is even in that word. It should probably <laughs> make up a new word. A little, well, a whole lot of the fun reason happens. why it's actually in the word is because fundamental means no fun, no me- uh, too much damn, and no mental. <laughs> there you go. Boredom that sums it up. Yeah, that sums it up. And so that that applies. Yeah. So I would say that all of those cultural aspects of it were used as ammo, but I was never told that they were like the sole reason. It was just evidence that it was bad. Yeah. Well, one of the things that that comes up a lot when you get into these conversations, we'll get into like the the Babylonian mythology of it maybe in a little bit. But um, I think the first thing that a lot of people say is, you know, obviously Easter bunnies are not Christian and they're bad and you shouldn't do anything with Easter bunnies because it's about a fertility right. It's a fertility God. Don't you see bunnies reproduce like crazy? And obviously this means that it's a fertility God and you don't really want to, to support a fertility God in your house, right? Seems like How my group should have been into that. <laughs> do what? It seems like my polygamous group should have been into that. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, how, how do you respond to the, the bunny argument, Mike? Well, on the surface, I get it. It does kind of seem like there's some connection there. Bunnies reproduce a lot. There's that old saying. So, you know, maybe it came from a fertility, right? Because there's nothing about the bunny uh, or the rabbit uh, being associated with Jesus or his resurrection in the Bible. Where did it come from? Well, we know pagans like animals. They had fertility rituals. Maybe that's where it came from. So on the surface, I guess it sounds plausible. But when you look into the history, it's just crap. The Easter bunny is really not even associated with Easter until the past few hundred years. Prior to that, there was the Easter hare in Germany. And that's a little bit of a different animal because they're seen less. Uh, they reproduce a little less. They're not, they don't have the same connotations necessarily. Some have tried to argue that the Easter bunny comes from Mary because it's associated with her virginity. Uh, some people, uh, some people know that rabbits can, uh, get pregnant when they're already, um, like really fast after they've produced, uh, a litter. So people thought maybe, you know, they had some sort of virgin conception. So in the 1500s, you can see depictions of Mary with rabbits, for example. And some say, well, maybe that's where the Easter rabbit comes from. There's really no direct connection there because, you know, Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus, not about the conception or the uh, the birth of Jesus. So it's not really that important. And what we actually see when I can look into what historians say, so in the Dictionary of English Folklore, for example, um, or uh, Weiser's book, the um, uh, Easter book, for example, they note that basically in Germany, around the 1500s, people just would see animals out in the fields during springtime when they're celebrating the Pascha or Easter. So we have references to like Easter foxes, Easter ravens, Easter butterflies, and also Easter hares. They would see them in the fields in this season, basically boxing for mates. And then you don't really see Easter hares or hares generally that much throughout the rest of the year. They only sort of come out 
very prominently in the springtime and then they go back away because again they're not like rabbits they're more of a uh, solitude creature so that's generally where it comes from and then when the easter hare was taken to america well bunnies are cuter and they're better at selling chocolate i guess it just sort of morphed into the easter bunny but originally it was the easter hare in northern germany region in the 1500s and that's that's it that's where it goes back to i know that's a little bit more boring than it comes from this pagan fertility ritual but that's what the records show. We don't have, I mean, if you can look up things like this book here, like the Dictionary of English Folklore, uh, I mean, that's generally what they say. It doesn't come from anything fertility. It's just that people would see hares around Easter and they started associating with the holiday, sort of like how we in America started associating turkeys with Thanksgiving. Uh, it just happened that way. Yeah, because Benjamin Franklin loved those turkeys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the other... The other um, little bit, kind of silly bit, I think, is the egg. Because people mm -hmm. will say, hey, you go on egg hunts. Uh, rabbits don't lay eggs. So obviously this is a pagan myth. And what, what you're doing is, you know, pagans would obviously use eggs in their, um, I guess, fertility rituals as well, whatever you want to call it, their pagan rituals. Eggs, Easter eggs. I guess they're dying them too. I'm not really sure if they were dying these eggs uh, according to these people or not. But uh, Easter eggs, very simple, fun thing to do with your kids that has very little to do with anything but spring and you know looking on it on its face. But uh, how how do did you ever have you did you go on Easter egg hunts in any way, Naomi? Before a certain point or like, did you sneak in an Easter egg hunt when you were a kid somehow? No, I was too busy trying to change into pants in the bathroom at school. So like Easter eggs didn't make the <laughs> cut for me. But the first time I actually participated in an Easter egg hunt was, I think I was like 26. And we were, I was with a friend and we we're like hiding eggs for her son at the time. Yeah. So no. Did you feel no so convicted and, and did you feel evil? No, I had a blast. <laughs> But I, don't, I mean, I was I was 26. I was out of a call. I was pretending I was like pooping them out on the ground and like all kind of ridiculousness. So yeah, I was just, you know, it was a weird time. But so I was just having fun with it and being ridiculous. It didn't have, it didn't have any connection to my worldview. It was just fun. That's good. That's that means you got healthy, which is great. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I have wondered some, some why we do system. use eggs. Like I have, like I've, you know, so. That's and something that maybe people are curious about. Yeah, for sure. I want to get Mike's answer, but I also have a little uh, anecdote that I want to share as well. Um, Easter eggs. Are they are they pagan? <laughs> Once again, <laughs> no, uh, they, they're, they're not. They're not pagan. Uh, again, it, eggs have been used as a fertility symbol in various cultures around the world. That's just a fact because it's it's an egg. Uh, but the Easter egg does not descend from any fertility symbol. The first mention of any Easter egg comes from the year 1290 in England, when King Edward I paid for 450 eggs to be colored and covered in golden leaf. That's the first reference. Uh, they probably predate that, obviously, because it just sort of established, it talks about it as if it's a custom that's happening. And the most likely origin, what historians will tell you, is that it comes from Lent. So in Catholic faith, basically, you have lent leading up to easter and you fast in the middle ages you wouldn't need any animal products so no meat no cheese butter cream no eggs no milk none of that a lot of that stuff can't keep for a while but what could keep was eggs 
if you hard boil them, they can keep. So like the few weeks leading up to Easter, they would take the eggs, collect them, hard boil them, save them for the Easter fest, for the Easter feast. And they started decorating them as well because it's a festival. So, you know, they dyed them red at times. Uh, they dyed them gold, as we can see. And that's generally where it comes from. They're just a Lent custom. You know, you can't eat animal yeah. products during Lent. And then by the time Lent is over, got an abundance of eggs. So that's how it became associated with it. So it's an entirely Christian tradition and origin. Well, what's, what's interesting about that, my anecdote, is I had a friend um, a couple of years ago uh, just she became Christian. She dived, she dove right into the Eastern Orthodox Church. And so she had her first Pascha and uh, it was last year. And she, she texted me and she was like, Hey, um, you didn't tell me about the red eggs. And I was like, I don't know anything about the red eggs. I mean, we do like multicolors, you know? And he, she was like, You didn't tell me about the, the egg. And she was like, and she told me that, you know, Eastern Orthodox, they do, they do the hardcore Lent fasting like the Catholics used to. Mm -hmm. And since they can't eat eggs during Lent, that is one of the, the continued traditions is they, they hard boil an egg. They, they dye it red, the red symbolizing the, the blood of Christ. And apparently, I don't know if she said this or it was another uh, Orthodox person I talked to. That's where uh, they actually did the, Easter egg hunts with those hard boiled eggs. And so I'm like, how much of this is all just a Christian tradition? Period. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, we basically, the first Easter egg hunts, we think basically happened in the 1600s in Germany, where again, they would just hide the eggs for the children to find, because again, it's a celebration. And here's what a lot of people don't understand today is sometimes people could just come up with customs on their own. It doesn't need to go back oh, to yeah. sort of pagan thing. Mm -hmm. Like, look at Elf on the Shelf now associated with Christmas. I didn't do that in the 90s when I was a kid. <laughs> it's very new. It just sort you of mean came about. Krampus on the Shelf? <laughs> no, that'd be creepy. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's a fairly new custom that just came about. Sort of like Easter egg hunts. They just seem to just happen in Europe in the Middle Ages. Why not? People are doing fun things on Easter to celebrate the holiday. So why not hide the eggs for the kids to find? I mean, people can come up with customs on their own. So why can't that just be it? No, it's got to go back to some weird pagan ritual, apparently. But again, there's no evidence of that. I, I, and that's the thing that keeps throwing me. I mean, you mentioned the elitism, Naomi, of the group mm -hmm. that you were in, you know, the wanting to be holy and sanctified and other in some way. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know why people want so badly for every single thing on the planet to be pagan. I mean, you could make the argument that everything is or that nothing is uh, because of Jesus or I mean, it, it does actually it doesn't make any sense to say anything, but all, all has been redeemed. I mean, let's be real when it comes to, <laughs> to Jesus, but I don't get it. Like, does it just make them feel like they're better? Do they make them feel elite? Well, and I think also people who then follow along with it and a lot of the people that we have contact with through the work we do at Be Emboldened they're following along with it then because they're scared. I mean, I have clients that have been out for years and they're still afraid to celebrate the holidays because the leadership, I mean, it's so fear-based, right? I mean, that's why people go along with it. And so some, yes, they join in and that like prideful elitism and we're better than everybody else and things like that. And some people go along with it because they're afraid they're going to be damned to hell if they don't. That's so crazy. Mm -hmm. Hiding Easter eggs can damn you to hell. <laughs> it well, it's, it's this weird idea that we get in some Christian circles that God hates everything a pagan does. 
So people go, okay, well, if this comes from paganism, then God hates it. And there's just no precedence for that in the Bible. And I point out the point people like places like Acts 17, where Paul quotes a pagan poet, Aratus, about, you know, in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And Paul takes this pagan work and applies it to the God of Israel. Okay, well, clearly, the when Aratus wrote that, he wasn't thinking of Yahweh. He was thinking yeah. of his stoic, pantheistic God, Zeus. Paul took that and said, no, no, we're just going to claim this. This is now about the God of Israel. So therefore, God doesn't hate everything that is pagan. Okay, 1 Corinthians 8, just because meat may have been sacrificed to an idol, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. Okay, it doesn't really harm you in any way. Okay, there, something that was used to honor a pagan is not going to hurt you, and it's not, doesn't upset God. But what people do is they go to places like Deuteronomy, where it says, you know, God hates every abominable thing the pagans do. And they go, oh, okay, anything a pagan's ever done, God hates it. And it's like, no, he says he hates every abominable thing they do, like child sacrifice. It doesn't mean they hate, God hates building temples because the Jews built a temple to their God uh, and pagans built temples to their gods. That doesn't mean God hates building temples just because pagans did it. So people don't really think beyond that. They just go, if it's pagan, God must hate it. And that is just, that opens a floodgate of just really bad uh, conclusions you'd have to arrive at. It makes scripture look inconsistent and it's just not even in scripture, but that's where I think it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you, if I can jump in. Oh. oh, go ahead. Cam, I was just going to say it tends to then go even deeper for people. Mike, you've probably heard this or seen this, but then it translates from, okay, God hates anything that's pagan. Well, if I'm doing something even by accident that's pagan, all of a sudden now it's God hates me, the person. Mm -hmm. And then people are trying to earn God's love. And so we just get in this really bad cycle that's not at all the gospel. Thanks, Cam. Yeah, Let me it, jump in on that. Yeah, no, you get good. that for sure. And people forget that God doesn't hate fun. I mean, just go to the gospel of John. Jesus is at the wedding in Cana. And what does he do? Does he give a sermon? No, he makes more wine so they can get drunk. Like, let's be honest about what's going on. It, Jesus is fully aware that sometimes people are allowed to enjoy living. It's not always mm -hmm. about rituals and worship there, there are other ways to worship god through human flourishing itself just living the life we were meant to live and enjoying the emotions we were created to enjoy so we need to keep that in mind it's not always about the strict religious activity we're allowed to do things that are fun so what's wrong with easter egg hunts for children right mm -hmm. right um one of the things that you mentioned was that paul quoted a greek poet and one of the things that that sticks out to me is I've spoken to a lot of Christians over my life who will just reject certain things simply because they're not Christian. So it's like 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 I can't think of a, a good song to mention, but like let's say there's a song that's very worshipful in nature and you can worship God to this song that's not written by a Christian. It's not written mm -hmm. by as a worship song. Like, is it wrong to worship God to that song? Like obviously not um but one of the things that i really um kind of accepted um not to say that i would accept anything that someone says is true uh but all truth is god's truth everything that is said that is true has to agree with with god and so it's like why are we afraid of finding truth everywhere we can find it mm -hmm. yeah and that that was that was taught by early church fathers like saint augustine for example this was not something that was anti-christian until you get fundamentalists show up 
I think we're going to rename them boredomentalists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we so to catch. <laughs> before before we get too far into the babylonian myths and and stuff and i'd love to maybe see if there's anything else that alexander hislop or uh, that guy that did the christmas tour observant video who i can't remember the name of anymore jim jim staley yeah <laughs> yeah but i before I, I is there anything on the lighter side of things that people will point out to Easter as pagan or something we shouldn't do. I know one of the big arguments that I hear a lot is that we shouldn't be doing any celebrations or holidays that weren't explicitly commanded in the Bible. And then they tell you that you should do Hanukkah. Exactly. Yeah, it's total special <laughs> pleading. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's utter nonsense as well. There, there's nothing. And I always push back on them. I say, where in the Bible does it say we can't have other holidays like, honestly, where does it say that? It doesn't anymore. Yeah. So it's they're, they're, they're quote mining the Bible, obviously, and they're cherry picking and they're making up rules that are not in the Bible. So it's just absurd nonsense. Uh, but with the one thing I would say people often bring up is the name Easter itself. And they'll say, well, this yeah. comes from this Germanic goddess, Ostra or Eostra. And they say, well, it came from her, for example. So how can you deny that it's pagan? Well, this really just shows limited reasoning because it's only called Easter in English-speaking regions. Everywhere else in the world, it's, it's called Pascha or a derivation of that because it derives from the Passover. So if you go to like Italy, Greece, Spain, they don't call it Easter there. They call it Pascha. Everywhere else other than in English-speaking world do they call it Pascha. Well, why do we call it Easter? Well, St. Bede tells us in The Reckoning of Time, he says, says, uh, uh, Eostromanoth has a name for which is now translated Paschal Month, and which was once called after a goddess of theirs named Eostra, and which honors feasts were celebrated in that month. Now they designate that Paschal season by her name, calling the joys of the new rite by the time-honored name of the old inheritance, of the old observance. So right then they were told is that they, there was a month that was around April called Eostromanoth, and people basically, basically started calling Easter after the month it fell in Easter, sort of like how we call Independence Day 4th of July. Just because we call it 4th of July does not mean it descends from a holiday honoring Julius Caesar. It's just <laughs> associated with the time of the year. So that's kind of the same thing here. Eostra gave the name of the month to Eostromanoth, and then the name of the holiday in English derived from the month. So if there's any connection, it's very indirect because it doesn't come from any sort of festival honoring Eostra. We don't have any evidence that of that sort of connection. Christians were celebrating the Pascha or what we call Easter long before they encountered any sort of Germanic peoples honoring Eostra in Britain, for example, that was all calculated and set back in the three hundreds. So it just, there's just a sem semantic connection of anything that it, Easter fell in the months of Eostra Manoth, and that month was named after a goddess. That's it. Well, you know what's interesting about that is I did some when I heard that claim uh, just recently because apparently my TikTok is stupid. Um, I I started looking into this Eosterk because uh, when I tweeted that you were coming on, someone was like, "Oh, well, obviously that's true. You've heard of e e I'm just going to say Eosterk because that's how it looks." Um, but I actually looked into it. The mention of this goddess called Easter Eostra. Mm -hmm. There's only one mention of her in any writing, which is by Beta. And there are two months that he spoke about in that writing that he he claimed were named after gods, uh, which is a funny thing 
because apparently the way the Germanic peoples talked of their months, the days were named after gods, Wednesday, Woden's Day, Odin's Day, Thursday, Thor's Day, etc. But months were all named after, uh, like one of them was named after a wheel because it was when you turned over from one season into the other. I'm guessing winter into spring or something like that. But they're all the maybe maybe not that one because that would probably be the Easter month. Um, but what's funny is there are no mentions of these two gods that he claimed were the semantic origins of this anywhere else. And so even that is a very tenuous maybe that this goddess ever even existed. Yeah, some historians ask that maybe she didn't exist and B was just coming up with an explanation. However, recently there was a scholar named Philip A. Shaw that made a case that many places in Britain and place names probably descend from Eostra, uh, like Easterling, for example. Uh, and so he made a case that there probably was some goddess. But here's the, here's the caveats. Okay, we have no idea what what her role was or how vast her worship was. Uh, we don't have any evidence she was a fertility goddess or a dawn goddess, uh, or when her, what day her festivals or feasts fell. Uh, we don't know much. Philip A. Shaw even suggested maybe uh, Aostra comes from this idea that it, it was these people on the eastern side of Britain that worshipped her, not this idea that she was a goddess of the dawn and associated with the sun rising in the east, because it's all speculative. All we have is this one reference from Bede, uh, and very little is really known about her. Yeah, and but prior to Shaw, a lot of historians have doubted her even existence. Yeah, well, so I mean, and that's, it's so up in the air. So when the show and book American Gods make her a super powerful god because people worship her every year, or someone on Twitter says, hey, obviously it's pagan because of this particular goddess, you're like, we don't even know if that was a goddess that existed. Like, we can't say that with any certainty, yeah, much absolutely. less. We don't have any, like, <laughs> actual inscriptions mentioning her anywhere. That'd be interesting to find. Uh, but all these stories about her, like, creating an, a rabbit, like, an egg-laying rabbit, for example, they come from folklorists <laughs> in the 19th century. They were just making things up to explain where Easter traditions may have come from. So they literally invented this entire mythology around Aostra, which... Again, not based in reality at all. It was all invented a hundred years ago. Yet people quote stories about her as if it's historical. Right. Well, and that was the mo when it, when I was doing uh, the episode with you, and we did another one on Krampus. Uh, in the research that I found, I actually I actually found out that Krampus proper, not maybe what he may have been based on previously, but Krampus was a an invention by uh, socialist folklorists to make Christmas seem pagan in Germany. It was around the time of um, Adolf Hitler. Apparently this, is, a, this was a thing. Well, I, th I think they may, that's when they started claiming it was pagan, but we do have, uh, yeah. like we do have Christmas cards in Germany from the 1800s that have Krampus on it. And I think most historians believe it's just the devil. Krampus is just a right. devil figure that comes from like the medieval devil plays. Right, no, I'm just saying they named him and made him a oh. part of it within their folklore at that point to prove that it was pagan. Like mm -hmm. they just gave yeah. him a, a proper title and stuff like that, which is just fascinating to me. Um, one of the, uh, one second, uh, matching bird asks is April fool's pagan. Of course it is. Okay. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's not, but yeah. Say, are you just kidding? Or, I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Um, well, okay. So speaking of the name, the, in my opinion, silliest thing I see is this meme that goes around. That's a relief carving of a goddess who is probably 
um, Ishtar, the, the Babylonian goddess who was previously Inanna. Uh, they, that's the, the connection there. Uh, or it's her sister, Arushkigal. Um, And on this, this thing, what it says is that the name Easter comes from the name Ishtar, which would technically be pronounced like correctly Ishtar, but um, they say, oh, you say it exactly the same way. Her name is Easter. That's how you say I-S-H-T-A-R. It's, it's Easter. And that's where it got its name. And she is, of course, a fertility goddess. And thus, that's what this is all about. Again, more fertility rights in uh, the ancient Sumerian culture. I think this is a big Hislop thing. Yes, this all comes from Alexander Hislop, this anti-Catholic Scottish preacher about living in the 1800s. Uh, and Ishtar was never pronounced Easter. That's nonsense. Uh, she was never associated with rabbits or eggs. Fertility was sort of like one of her tasks, but she was also a goddess of war. That was more of her main task. It was so her from what I understand, are, it was even less than fertility. It was sex in war rather than fertility in war. Yeah, for sure. But she is associated kind of more with like the cycle of the crop. So there's a text in Akkadian text called Ishtar's Descent, where she goes into the underworld. And when she's down there, they're complaining because, you know, the livestock won't breed, the crops won't grow. She needs to come back up so that can actually happen. Right. And w was it her sister that ended up living with the underworld god, Arushkagal? I can't remember exactly, but in, in Nana's Descent, which is her Sumerian name, she comes back up. And I believe, yeah, it's her sister and her husband, Tammuz, that have to take turns in the underworld every year. Right. The and she what's really interesting about that though is um at one point there was a story about Ishtar or Anana, I can't remember which, um, who where she had to choose between a farmer and a um uh, a farmer and a, a hunter or a shepherd, a farmer and a shepherd. And as her husband and Tammuz was the shepherd or no, was the farmer. And so what was really interesting about that, it's it's it reminds me of uh, the Cain and Abel story where God chose Abel's sacrifice rather than Cain's, where Inanna chose the shepherd over the um, I'm sorry, chose the farmer over the shepherd. Well, I think I can't remember exactly because uh, it's a very fragmented text. But Tammuz is yeah. like the shepherd god. Like that's his role. He sort of gets him put on sort of like a pedestal as like a god later. Yeah. Well, I got I may have gotten the two mixed up, but it, it just, just really interesting that it's it, it has that same sort of choosing between the the farmer and the shepherd as we have in the Cain and Abel story. Because it's Genesis is such a fascinating book with polemics that you don't necessarily see unless you actually study Sumerian uh, religion and stuff. You start to see some kind of interesting uh, rejections of Sumerian mythology in there. And I find that fascinating. <laughs> um, is there anything else that uh, Hislop brought to the table? Well, Hislop wrote the two Babylons and basically argued that the Catholic church is secretly not Christian. They're worshiping Nimrod and his wife, Semiramis, which he associates with Ishtar. And Ishtar is also Aphrodite, Astarte from Canaan. <laughs> all this kind of stuff. And it's this secret, you know, mystery religion that's really being promoted. And he makes up a lot of stuff in there. That's just utter nonsense. And as we mentioned earlier, like about 10 years ago, Jim Staley put out his documentary truth or tradition, where he basically just recycled a lot of his old arguments. 
about like, you know, semi Ramus coming, like creating like these egg laying rabbits. And they talk about, I believe Hislop talks about how babies were sort of sacrificed and that's why we dye eggs red because it represents the blood, but it's, yeah, Hislop is just making this stuff up. He's got no evidence yeah. for it. We have no evidence Nimrod was ever a god in ancient Mesopotamia. He, he's mentioned in Genesis. That's it. He, I think Chronicles as well. Uh, but and then later Christian and Jewish texts. But he doesn't show up in any ancient Mesopotamian works. Uh, during the days of Abraham, the head deity in Babylon would have been Enlil. And then during the Neo-Babylonian period, he's replaced by Marduk. Uh, so it's yeah. never, there's never a deity called Nimrod. And you know, I would say, you know, Nimrod is probably either like um, Hammurabi or Sargon of Akkad. We're not entirely sure. Uh, but if there was this historical Nimrod, which I tend to think there was, he would have been separated by the historical Semiramis by over like a thousand years or more or less. So this idea right. that there was ever this couple in Mesopotamia is just nonsense made up by Hislop. But people repeat this stuff today because they don't yeah. they don't know any better and they've not done actual research. Well, that's what's so interesting to me is I've had a lot of conversations with people lately who are saying things that you cannot possibly credibly assert. You know what I mean? Like like the Eoster or Easter or the um, like Semiramis being a goddess. I don't even think that that's quite I don't think she was ever considered a goddess, just a, a queen. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure because, you know, I don't read well, the, Marian, the but she's probably an amalgamation of a couple different queens uh generally she's like this assyrian queen that sort of restores the city of babylon that's like her role is that uh she's originally like a, a wife of a governor and then this is all coming from diodorus for example then she sort of becomes the queen of assyria after he dies she becomes this famous warrior type queen that eventually restores the city of babylon and that's the mythology around her most likely she's an amalgamation of different queens in that region yeah, but never a goddess from what I know, from what I've looked into. So it's 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 a weird assertion, but that that like I said, there's a lot of people that are making these huge assertion, assertions that are not backed by anything, and they're they're it's. I just can't understand someone because maybe it's just because of who I am as a person, but if I'm going to claim something, I have to have some knowledge and backing as to why I'm claiming it. Like, just trust me, bro, is not good enough for me. <laughs> because i don't want to look like an idiot <laughs> yeah you'd think that would be but i mean that's what a lot of people do is they 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 cite something like this common knowledge for example people will say everyone knows you only use 10 percent of your brain why well hollywood has done movies showing us this so people just think that's true because why would you make a movie that's millions of dollars and basically based on a often as like an actual myth well because it makes money there's no evidence we use 100 percent of our brains for example to say we only use 10 percent of our brains is absurd so there's that, for example, but P that just becomes common knowledge. People just assume that that's the way it is. Same with the origin of like Easter and Christmas. Everyone just keeps be being told over and over again, it's pagan. So why would I hear from multiple sources that's pagan and they all be wrong? Well, sometimes that's just how myths work. They just get circulated so much and people just start quoting each other. And then if you ever, but no one ever considered talking to an actual historian about it. Yeah, well, I, I think that that's probably one of the most healthy things you can do is it's hard to do because you it's it, they're unknown unknowns. There are things that you can't possibly know that you've got wrong until someone tells you, but it is very healthy to take a look at your belief system, the things that you claim, the things that you say and go, Hey, let me actually check out what I'm saying 
before I say it to everyone on the planet and act like it's, this is truth. Um, it's just, I, I, I mean, I, I get it that we don't know what we don't know, but there are times I'm talking to these people. And I told you about a certain instance of this earlier, uh, Mike, which I won't go into because I don't want to offend anyone who may listen to this. But the, a conversation I was having where someone made this assertion contrary to like the known fact and i was just like i don't think i can talk to you anymore <laughs> like this is this is very basic knowledge that you can you can everyone knows and it's not because oh well there's this myth that people have repeated we have the source material here why are you why are you arguing against that and so it's it's a wild wild world we live in but mm -hmm. I, I like Easter, so I wanted to make sure anyone who likes Easter and had a Torah observant or some random person on the internet tell them they can't enjoy Easter and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they'll go to hell in some way. Um, that's mm -hmm. nonsense, and you can you can celebrate Easter for God's sake. You can celebrate Easter. <laughs> yeah, there's no yeah, religious I think... reason to deny the celebration of Easter. I think, Mike, something I've heard you say elsewhere, you've spoken to it a little bit tonight, but I've heard you say it, like I know you brought it up on Cultish recently, I listened to that interview, and I've heard you say it before, but it basically ends up being agenda-driven, right? I mean, people are saying these things for a purpose. They're not, this would be like going to scripture and practicing, you know, eisegesis at its finest. It's like, no, I have a point that I'm trying to make, and I'm going to do my best to make it, and I'm not really seeking where the evidence is actually going to take me. Yeah, it's uh, I, it's a lot of it. It's, it is agenda driven in that people in like the Torah observant movement want to scare people. If they can scare them, then they can get them under their umbrella or under their wing and get them to do the things they want and be part of their group. So what they do is they, they use these scare tactics like Easter is pagan. Stay away from it. God hates everything that's pagan. We've got much better alternatives come here. And so if you want to convince people to be a Torah observant of Christian, I mean, fine best of luck to you but don't use scare tactics don't use misinformation don't try to use these blatant lies to try to just get people mm -hmm. to you know, be all afraid of simple customs like hiding easter eggs it's absurd mm -hmm. it is um so yeah. are there any other easter myths that we've missed because I, I i there there are definitely fewer than christmas because they hate christmas way more than they hate easter um but are there any weird things that you you would hear people claim that you know of that we could bust not around easter i can really think of uh some people will say like you know the uh, the uh, the origin of it is pagan because it's not on the day you know jesus rose from the dead jesus rose from the dead you know on one specific historical day he doesn't rise different every year because easter falls on the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. Okay, why is that? Well, the history is because in the early days of Christianity, they just would follow the Jewish calendar. So whenever Passover was coming around, they'd celebrate Easter on that Sunday. And that's generally what happened. Well, in, in the 300s, uh, this is where the Council of Nicaea actually comes in. Uh, they decided that they're going to start doing it this way. They'll do it, you know, after the spring equinox. And so then there were a couple different calculations of that. But eventually St. Bede sort of sets this down in this book, The Reckoning of Time, this idea that it's going to be on the first Sunday after the first full moon of the spring equinox. And then his book was widely copied and spread around, and that just sort of became the standard. And so it just comes from the fact that Jews were calculating a solar lunar calendar. So Passover is a different day every year. 
and Christians just sort of inherited that you know idea of following the yeah. courses of the moon. And although it was modified over time, that's where it comes from. It didn't come from any sort of pagan idea. Well, that that was one of the. I feel like when I did I did watch that Jim Staley documentary, and he made some tenuous claims about. Um, you know, worshiping on Sunday because you're worshiping the Catholics are worshiping the sun God um, and all of that, which is, is tied in, but I don't know if it's super apropos, but do you remember those claims? Yeah. Cause he made them recently in a documentary I responded to. And then I, uh, Oh, he made luckily the documentary. He yeah. Well, he made a new one called December 25th on trial and the same day. So, <laughs> Here's the story behind that. He posted it on March 25th and a Catholic friend and I watched it and we were like, this is just so bad. We could debunk it now. And just, we just decided to go live the same day because it was just that bad. Like it's really bad when we're both seeing the same errors and it's like, we could debunk this really easily. So we did to his credit, to Jim's credit, he took it down a few days later, but then he said, there's only minor errors. I need to correct in it. Nonsense. This entire documentary is based on numerous blunders major errors so we'll be it'd be interesting to see if he ever re-uploads it but he made the same oh. claim there he said the idea that sunday worship comes from paganism he actually used the phrase comes from the pagan sabbath there is no such thing as a pagan <laughs> sabbath that's just not a thing uh again christians were worshiping on sunday probably in the first century we see it in the didache for example about christians meeting on the lord's day then we see it in justin martyr's work we see it in origin we see it in tertullian Ironically, Tertullian was one of Jim's sources, uh, but he didn't quote the fact that Tertullian also says that Christians worshiped on Sunday. You know, right. really a lot of cherry picking going on. But yeah, he claimed that, you know, it, during under Constantine, they made it official. This is the Sabbath is now Sunday. OK, yeah, Constantine did make that kind of an official thing, like the day of rest is going to be Sunday. But again, it's because Christians, that was a longstanding tradition of Christians that goes back to the first century. It wasn't just made up then and there. Christians were not keeping the Sabbath for generations at that point. Going back to the letters of Ignatius telling Christians, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. And then his letters were endorsed by Polycarp. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know what to tell these guys. They're just really bad at getting these historical facts or they just quote mine them, unfortunately. And I really hope they're just bad at it because I don't want to accuse them of you know, <laughs> being deceitful. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what's so funny is, you know, you I, I had a girl on, oh gosh, it has to have been a year and a half, two years ago. And we talked about the idea of uh, the Sabbath. And, you know, she talked about how it should be on Saturday and all of that. And I, I tried to explain that, you know, I know that you want to believe that we changed the, that Christians in Constantine or Charlemagne or whoever you want to make the boogeyman changed the Sabbath to Sunday. But that's never actually what happened. I mean, you can look in Revelation at the beginning of Revelation when it talks about John having his uh, his vision and he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I mean, it's even mm -hmm. attested to in the Bible that there was what something called the Lord's day that was otherwise they would have called it the Sabbath. I mean, <laughs> that because yeah. that wasn't, from my understanding, a common uh, parlance for the the name or the word Sabbath. They would have said Sabbath. Exactly. And, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, again, we the reason why Christians wanted to worship on Sunday is, is simple. Jesus rose from the dead on that day. So it became the Christian sacred day kind of thing. So, you know, that's just generally what happened. But that that, that claim that you said that they make that, you know, Jesus only rose once. I laughed 
because I know they also don't celebrate birthdays, but it's like, do, you, do they think people are celebrating birthdays because people are born every year on the same day? Like, what a weird, what a weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah, well, they'll claim birthdays are pagan as well because, and they'll use this really bad argument. They'll say that like the only time birthdays come up in the Bible is when bad people are doing it. So Pharaoh has a birthday celebration. Uh, Herod Antipas has a birthday celebration, and they'll be like, see. Only bad people do it. Well, that's just guilt by association. The reason why we don't see birthday celebrations in the Bible is because people didn't know when they were born. They didn't have modern right. calendars, modern timekeeping mm -hmm. methods. People would have known, yeah, you were born around Yom Kippur. You know, that kind of thing. You were born a couple of weeks before yeah. that. You know, that's generally what they would know. They didn't know the exact day like we do today. But the Bible never yeah. condemns birthday celebrations. Yeah, I find that to be it's, – it's, it's just bizarre to me. Because at the end of the day, when you're talking to these people and they're telling you not to celebrate Easter at all, that you should celebrate Passover, that this idea that you shouldn't be directly and openly and explicitly celebrating the resurrection of Christ is so weird to me. Like, I know you can tie it into Passover. By all means, you can. But mm -hmm. this is a special day that we a special event that we celebrate every year. And how could you ever say there's something wrong with that? Yeah, they'll say things like, um, well, they, they'll tie it into Passover. If you're a Torah-observing Christian, they'll, they'll celebrate it as part of the Passover celebration. Fine, good for you. Don't condemn us for doing it the way the church has done it for, you know, 2,000 years. Uh, you can have you, you can do it the way you want. Uh, we know, for example, I believe it was Polycarp that was celebrating it the, on the Passover, the resurrection. He keeps keeping the Passover. There was this whole controversy in the second century where there was the Christians in Rome were saying, no, no, you can't keep it like this. And then they pushed back from the east. And that kind of thing. And, you know, eventually the Roman Christians won out. Uh, but I mean, there, there's nothing wrong if you want to keep the Passover, but don't then turn around and condemn Christians for, for not and keeping right. Easter. One, it's like it uh, Cody sense. here says. Oh, go ahead. Uh, it's just the same thing. Cody's here talking about there's some interesting primary source data which suggests that many Christians observe the Sabbath and Lord's Day for some time until Sabbath was abandoned. Jewish Christians for sure. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, and than, I think Justin yeah. Martyr mentions some of them as well, uh, like these Jewish Christians. And I know Rodney Stark, this historian, will talk about that over time, they just, there were actually many Jews that became Christians, but over time, they just sort of blended with the Gentiles and just became Christians because they didn't think they had to keep the same uh, Torah observant rituals. Uh, so, you know, we know from Paul's letter, there were Jewish Christians in Rome, for example. And we also know that by the second century, Rome was basically the center place for mainstream Christianity um, after the Jewish wars. And many of them were very much this idea, no, you don't have to keep anything Jewish. It's, you know, we are under the new covenant now. This has all been fulfilled in Christ. So what happened to the, Christ the Jewish Christians in there? Well, they, you know, they just became Christians. I mean, they didn't really think they had to keep their same Jewish heritage anymore because they were now Jewish. Now, if there's a Jewish Christian who wants to keep the Torah, fine. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Was it Galatians that says, you know, kind of stay where you are? Like if you if you come to the if you come to the faith as a Jew and you keep Torah, keep Torah. If you come to the the faith as Christ as not Christian as Gentile, you don't have to start. You don't have to get circumcised. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to do Passover. Like you can just stay as you are. Yeah, that's big in Galatians and some of the Torah observant interpretations of Galatians. It's just like some of the most ad hoc things I've ever heard in my entire life. But it's also pretty clear in 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul's like, you know, if you're of the uncircumcised, you're fine. If you're of the circumcised, you're fine. You don't have to become one or the other kind of thing. So uh, 
you know, it's pretty clear that Paul was a okay with people not keeping the Torah. Uh, it wasn't necessary. And so you get a lot of this Torah, these Torah observing Christians, like just refing to reinterpret Paul in these very convoluted ways. And it's just like, yeah, sad, I guess. Well, they have to, I guess, to keep the whole, keep the whole Bible and be whole Bible believers. Um, but uh, you were going to say something, Naomi. I don't want to run you over and forget about you. Oh, you're good. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in and add. I mean, we have so much in Scripture that points to the importance of remember, remember, remember. You know, have these rhythms to our day, to our week, to our, our seasons, and remember what God has done for us. And so why would we not? apply that to the death and resurrection of our savior. However, we're going to come to those dates, however we're going to do it. I think we have so much in the Torah that would point to that's good. Now I'm not saying it like we have to do it, but to condemn it makes no sense at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, and not to mention um, a lot of times the people that I've talked to who are kind of Torah observant, I think that they probably come from certain Christian sects that don't, do very much when it comes to the church calendar. There's an entire church calendar that Christians function off of liturgy, different times mm -hmm. of the year. I mean, we have Lent, we have all of these different um, enunciate. Well, that's, that's Catholic. We don't, not everyone does that, but you know, different parts of the year that Christians have that are, it's not that much different than doing the different, you know, celebrations in Judaism, but it's Christian rather than Jewish. Mm. So, I mean, if, if, if you want those things, you just uh, go to an Anglican church, go to a Catholic church, go to a, one of the churches that really focuses on the, ch the common church calendar, celebrate it there. You don't have to go and do, try to find your way back to Judaism to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, so we're at about 55 minutes. So I'm going to shift over start shifting over to the extended episode where I'm, I'm probably going to ask you questions about um, how annoying your TikTok is, uh, your TikTok <laughs> feed is and stuff like that. Um, but uh, before we do that, I did want to let you guys let everyone know where to find you. I have, uh, unfortunately, I when I made my list, I, I only put Mike's stuff on it. So I'm not going to read it off for both of you this time. You're going to have to do it yourself. <laughs> so Naomi, if people want to find you, let's let's do that first. Yeah, easiest is just to go to beembolden.com, beembolden.com, and from there you can get to anything else. So that's where I'd start. So easy, so simple. And how about you, Mike? Yeah, you can find me on YouTube, Inspiring Philosophy. I'm on TikToks under the same name. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the same name, just Inspiring Philosophy. You also have a website, inspiringphilosophy.org, if I remember correctly. Correct, yes. Um, I'm so smart. Um, but beyond that, I do want to ask, uh, I'll, I'll ask you both since uh, this is both your second time coming on my show in some instance, I'm going to ask you the big question again. Uh, and I'll start with Naomi, then we'll, we'll end with Mike. Um, but what is something right now in your, it could be in your life, global, local, in the house, wherever, what's something that gives you the hope and motivation to carry on doing what you do and to live a life that's not a uh, complete drudgery. What gives you hope? Mm. I mean, I could give the the obvious answer. It seems <laughs> touche <laughs> in a way, but I'm like, yeah. I mean, my my hope, truly, legitimately, 
is eternity with Christ. And I mean that, I mean, coming from a life like mine, that is what has kept me alive is my relationship with him. So, and in the day to day, it's seeing him move in the lives of others and give them the same freedom that he's given me. It's incredibly motivating. Um, in some ways, it's like I live every day and work every day in the past trauma that I have experienced, but I get to see him show up and do stuff that I could never do in people's lives. And it's so encouraging and so inspiring and keeps me wanting to do it. So as long as I get to be here and do it, I'm going to do it. Can I just say um, that is probably one of my favorite things about you is because I we I did have a guy who was once in a Mormon polygamous cult come on the show. But one mm -hmm. thing that I found is the enemy loves a, a, Christ, a Christianity based cult because mm -hmm. I have yet to be able to find one Mormon who has left Mormonism that hasn't become atheist or mm -hmm. something else, anything but Christian. And so there's this mm -hmm. particular um, deceptive quality within the cults that leads, that throws the baby out with the bathwater. And so the mm -hmm. fact that you are still Christian and are stronger in your, your Christianity and your walk with God than you were in the cult and you didn't just abandon it all impresses the heck out of me. And I'd love to find at least one person who was Mormon and then became Christian. That's all I want to find. If I find one, I'll introduce you. I know <laughs> one. Do. There's a, um, oh. a woman on Twitter named Kay, K-A-Y, who ex-Mormon. She's now Catholic. Uh, there was a guy called Bishop Earl who was a Mormon bishop and became a Christian as well. So I've seen a couple. Mm. Oh, well, I'm going to have to, to search for them on Twitter and see if I can find them because I want to have that conversation. But like I said, it's such a unique deception to use Christianity to make a cult because it runs people away from Jesus completely in a way that oh, yeah. other other cults do not. They don't have that power. But it's so confusing to get off that mm -hmm. sour note. <laughs> Mike, what gives you hope? Same question, but yeah, this time with the beard. Yeah, it's hope that I can help someone through my channel. I mean, when I started the channel, my idea was if I can just help one person come to Christ, that'll be worth it all. And so luckily, I've, I've well exceeded that expectations by the grace of God. And that's what just keeps me going to keep seeing more of that. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's what's funny is, you know, my show started out in kind of a dumb political way. And then we, we changed over time and we became more more of Christian content, more talking about Jesus, theology, things like that. And the fact that there, I know of anyone who has rededicated their life to the Lord based off of my dumb mouth, incredible. God can speak, make the rock speak if he wants to, and I'm one of them. And I'm, I'm happy to be there. Um, but let's go ahead and shift over into the extended episode where we can have more fun. Um, all of you who have listened and watched... Oh, Thanks for coming on, Mike, so that everyone knows I said it and they don't just hear it at the end. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Thank you for co-hosting with me, Naomi. Um, but the rest of you, next week, we're going to be talking to uh, my friends PJ and Abby from Conspiracy Pilled, who started, kind of like my story, started a podcast based off of conspiracies, and it has now just become a ministry <laughs> instead. And so 
Uh, we're going to talk to them next week. I want to get the details because uh, he, he put it in that way. And I was like, either you're playing it for just for me or we're, we're very similar people. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Uh, beyond that, you can find me on Twitter at Ham Carlos. That's where you can see all of the presidents whatever I think of. I have them all in orange jumpsuits as well. That was not my biggest hit, but I enjoyed it. Um, you could also join the Patreon, patreon.com slash the mad ones, t-shirts, mugs, posters. Uh, I did do my, my favorite painting is one of Van Gogh's early paintings of it's a skeleton smoking a cigarette. I don't It's not the cleanest, most Christian painting I've ever seen, but it's my favorite one. Something about it. Just, I love, it evokes something in me, but I, since it's royalty free, I did make a, a vector of it and I made a very high quality print. And so if you want one of those, you can go to wearethemadones.com slash store, get that a shirt, whatever. If you're listening, you can watch it weekly, typically, not today, but typically at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on Thursdays uh, at youtube.com slash themadones. We're also on uh, Rockfin and Rumble. So if you want to see my face, don't know why you would. If you want to see my face, that's where you can do it. If you're watching and you're like, oh, God, that beard looks terrible. Uh, you can go to wearethemadonesones.com and listen to it there or any podcatcher that you like to use. Uh, so that's all. We're going to move into to last call now. As always, you have a chance to be a light in the world. So go light it up.